How many of you have ever started something with a lot of enthusiasm only to lose steam after a while? I would hazard a guess that, that most all of us have, have experienced this. Most all of us have done this. And let's be honest, the thing that we started could very well have been something that was very important or it had a lot of positive impact in our life, yet we still lost energy for that thing because it eventually moved beyond just pure excitement and it started taking dedication and commitment. We had to be disciplined in approaching something. We got two messages left in this little brief series that we've been doing about Be Field that followed our, our Easter message. And I, I wrestled a lot this week with what this next to the last message was to be about. There's a lot of different things in God's Word that I'll go ahead and tell you. That way, if you want to lay out next week, then you can. The Holy Spirit will just convict you. Um, I'm just telling you, we're going to talk next week about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And... Um, and we're just going to put it on the line and, and talk about um, what, what, just what the Bible says, what God's Word says about being filled with the Spirit. I, I knew that was going to be the last message, the, the day uh, Easter, Easter Sunday, when God put it on my heart to, be, uh, to go through this series of stuff. And he, it's one of the times that he did not give me what all the B-fields were going to be in between because I could spend another three or four weeks talking about some more B-fields, but that's not what God's plan is. And so I, I wrestled around with Romans 15, 13 some this week um, where he talks about the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. I thought that's where God was going to have me go. It's, uh, it doesn't happen a whole lot this way, but we were having dinner with some friends last night, just some very godly people that speak into my life, and we don't get to uh, be around them all that much. We need to be around them more, but as, um, as we were sitting there, and, and we were there for probably almost four hours at their house, and, and he was just kind of speaking some stuff into, into my life, and, and as I was listening, and God just something that he said, God just said, this is what you're going to preach on tomorrow. I know you, you wish that, you, you know, that I'd spend all week, but I'm just telling you, I thought it was going to be Romans 15. God had a different plan, and, and I thought, okay, God, is that really what you're, what you're wanting? Uh, I mean, i got to figure this out now between now and tomorrow morning, and, and he was like, it's all right. He gave me the scripture and, uh, and told me what the direction was to be. And about five minutes later, there was a specific word, um, literally like a word and the, and, uh, this guy that was, that was talking to me, then he said that word, not even knowing. And, and I was just like, Oh, and God was like, I told you. Um, so we're going to talk today, uh, about something that, that just was a challenging thought that God put into my, into my heart out of this dinner last night. And, and I always know that when, when God just, put something in my heart um, that's outside of where I thought I was going to be. He'll use Romans 15 and stuff later at some point. I'm sure there was a purpose in that. But we're going to talk about today as God wants us to be filled with zeal. We're going to talk about what zeal is. We'll explain some of that. But God wants us to be filled with zeal. 
and we're going to look at the scripture, uh, you're going to need to get your phone out or whatever else. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something because, uh, you know, I just some of the stuff that got spoken in my life last night, I'm going to be up front with you. You're going to need to bring your Bible to church or else you're going to need to bring your phone or something that you can look it up on. I'm not going to put as much of it up on the screen anymore. I want you to, I'm afraid we're getting where we're not as familiar with our scriptures anymore. We're not as familiar with our Bibles. And so we're going to, we're going to do a little more work coming out of, out of our Bibles. So um, you, you just, it, and if you got a phone, it's easy to flip, you know, to there if you've got an app there as well. When I was a kid, we used to do Bible sword drills is what they called them. And um, you had to be able to find stuff in your Bible fast. And, and um, there's something lost in not doing as much of that anymore. But people could, whoop, they could flip over and tell you exactly where stuff was. We're going to look at John chapter 2. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start in John chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. While you're turning there, and it's okay if you're still turning, if you're looking, if you've got a phone, you're probably already there. But I'm going to pray over the word, and then we're going to, we're going to dive in. God, I thank you. I thank you that fear and uh, oppression and depression... God, I pray, I'm thankful that, that confusion and all of these things have to bow before you. God, I'm thankful that all other things that demand and compete for my attention have to bow. But God, I pray today that you're going to speak into our hearts and you're going to challenge us. Have you challenged me last night and have challenged me this morning and are just kind of wrecking some of my emotions right now? Because, God, I think that you have a, a serious and challenging message for us today. And it's for us because, God, you're sharing it as much to me as to anyone else. And, God, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds. God, I pray that we will be receptive to receiving your word and your direction that you have for us today. And, God, I give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy. We pray and believe this in Jesus' name, and the church together said, amen, amen. John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. This is what it says. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. And before we talk much about the corresponding or, or this scripture, I want to I share with you the corresponding scripture. What is it that the disciples remember that it was written? And you got to realize that at this time they didn't have the New Testament, so whatever they remembered was going to be Old Testament. It was something that was going to be coming out of the Old Testament that they had available to them. Psalm chapter 69, verses 5 through 9 says this, God, you know my foolishness, and my guilty acts are not hidden from you. Do not let those who put their hope in you be disgraced because of me. Lord God of hosts, do not let those who seek you to be, who seek you be humiliated because of me, God of Israel. 
For I have endured insults because of you, and shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons because zeal for your house has consumed me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is the scripture that they remembered. Jesus was humiliated in front of his own people. Jesus was disgraced in front of his own people. Jesus would end up being disgraced far greater than when he was crucified on on the cross and, and was mocked and made fun of. But at this moment in time, these men remembered something because they saw Jesus come in and he recognized that people had come into God's house. The temple, the church, And he saw that it was filled with people who were selling the animals that were needed for sacrifice. They were selling worship. They'd come up into God's house and they were charging people and exorbitantly charging people in order for them to be able to do worship because they were in that sacrificial system. And then you also had the people, the money changers. And these were people who, when foreigners would come into the temple, they didn't have the ability then to buy these animals. So you would have the money changers there who would take their foreign currency and exchange it into a local currency so that they could purchase these animals for sacrifice. And then these guys would charge an exorbitant fee in order to exchange that money. So they were sitting in God's house and they were choosing to try to take advantage of people who were coming in to worship. And so you had people who were overcharging for animals for the act of worship. You had people who were helping them make a conversion process in order to try to worship and they were overcharging them in that process. Jesus comes in and he says, get that stuff out of here. I think one of the challenges that we're facing is that we've reached a point where I'm afraid that ministers and I'm afraid that people that are, that are supposed to be leadership in churches are no longer willing to look at things that are going on within the church house and say, get that stuff out of here. It doesn't belong in this place because this is something... I understand that this is a building. Don't don't misunderstand me. I understand that this is a building and the Bible says in the New Testament that now we're the temples of the Holy Spirit and all that. But there is some semblance of something about coming together in a place. I don't care if it was here or if we were out under a tree somewhere. In that moment, we are sanctifying that place as somewhere that we are coming together and we are going to meet with God. Moses is in the the wilderness and remember he sees the burning bush he sees a bush that's over there and it's burning but it's not being consumed and so he goes to approach it and what, what happens? God speaks to him and says loose the sandals off your feet because the ground that you're standing on is holy it wasn't because of where it was. It wasn't because they'd built a temple there. It was because the presence of God was going to be there. Now, if we want to take that beyond a building, I'm afraid that we've reached a point. I'm afraid we've reached a point where we're no longer even willing to look in people's lives and say, you need to get that junk out of here. 
You need to get that stuff out of your life because it doesn't line up with God's Word. It doesn't line up with what God has called a believer to be. And I love you too much in order to sit here and just watch and you not do something about that which is in the temple that you say God resides in. He said, get those things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Quite honestly, we could take that thought and we could run with it quite a bit because we could talk about that it seems like at times that what's happening is where this temple, this body, this person that you and I are supposed to be in being followers of Christ and being disciples of him and being the habitation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not the general spirit, not the commonplace spirit, not the spirit that just, well, he's just kind of out there and he's just kind of one of your buddies. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be in and residing in, and yet it's almost like we're creating it as being a timeshare, where we're sharing a little bit of time with Satan, a little bit of time with alcohol, a little bit of time with some drugs, a little bit of time with some prostitution, and then going to act like when we come up in God's house that we're right with God. But a Holy Spirit is supposed to be residing inside of us. Jesus went into that temple that was just being desecrated by people taking advantage of the situation of worship and said, get that stuff out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Most people get very focused on the part of the the next part of that passage there they they get they get tied into that portion about the whip and all that men especially oh man we like that idea oh jesus wasn't a pushover jesus wasn't a push that's what we want to focus on jesus wasn't a pushover look he braided a little cord of whips and he's running folks out he's laying pop knots on people's heads and flipping tables over right we we get all excited about that see jesus wasn't a pushover great glad you figured that out the guy that was willing to be beaten on our behalf to the, to the point that his flesh hung like ribbons on his back and was carrying a cross up a old rugged, you know, ugly, we, we sing songs like, you know, the old rugged cross, and we just, it's just like a word. It's just an adjective for us, a rugged cross. Man, we're talking about rough-hewn timber, ugly, nasty stuff with a back that's beaten and laid open to the fact that doctors say that when you read the, 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 the account and you, you study history of how they would have scourged people that probably you could have seen his, his, his organs from, from in his back where he'd been beaten so hard, and he's got a railroad tie pretty much laid up on his back that he's got to go dragging up a, up a hill so that they can kill him on it. I promise he's tough enough. You didn't have to figure that out because he braided a whip and ran some people out of the house of God. But nowadays, while we will celebrate that Jesus does that, we will balk at the idea of somebody saying, get your junk up out of God's house. But we want to celebrate that Jesus did it. But if we look around and say, you know what? The stuff that we're doing is not holy. The stuff that we're doing doesn't fit in, and it's destructive to the temple of God. It's destructive into your life. But we don't want Jesus coming in, flipping over the table of your favorite thing that we want to do. We don't want God flipping over the table of the sins that are active in our lives and saying, get that out of here and stop making 
My father's house, the temple that you're supposed to be, stop making it be a marketplace where you're just selling time to everything besides God. But we focus very little on the scripture that the disciples remembered when they said, it says, they remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. When I looked up what does zeal mean, it's great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. So, what we see is that they were remembering a scripture that defined someone and described them as being consumed with great energy or enthusiasm regarding God's house. And, and remembering that we now are the temple. Remember the Bible says, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, you know, Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, it's your reasonable service. It's your reasonable act of worship. Why? Because you are that place now. Jesus had great energy and enthusiasm about proper worship. You're not going to be up in God's house around Jesus giving half-hearted worship, giving worship that, that's tainted by things of the world because I promise you, worship that's tainted by that stuff is not worship at all. We need to be on our faces before God before we come into a church service. I'm just, I'm just telling you. you need, we need to be on our faces before God saying, God, almost like David did, saying, God, search me and know me if there's any unclean thing in me. And if there is, God, I repent of that. I don't want anything to be in the way of me being able to come into the presence of a holy God and worship you. God, I don't want anything to hinder my worship to you. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. That's why I need to be before God. That's why I, come, I want to come before him and be able to say, God, help me. Let me identify know it with, with your own kids. If y'all have had a conflict until somebody finally breaks the ice and you start moving towards some, hey, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry too. And all, what The relationship stays strained in the moment. And I promise you, don't think that, that, that you're going to come in and, oh, I'm just going to start worshiping. And you know you acted a fool all week. The Bible even says, says, he says that if you're coming to, to bring your gift to the altar and you remember that a brother's got all against you, says, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and make that thing right. Then come back and, and then give that gift because it'll be received. Why? Because how on earth, the Bible says, can you love God whom you haven't seen when you can't love your brother that you have seen? It's about a pursuit of holiness. It's about a pursuit of trying to live right before God. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people want to just be all over the side of just, well, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. That's great. But God's word still calls us to live a life that's worthy of the calling. But we're not expected to do it through our own works. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Jesus had great enthusiasm about showing reverence for God. And in fact, some translations talk about says that, that my, house is, his, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus wanted to have happen. There needed to be a focus on prayer. 
Jesus didn't have to tell people that he was passionate about this stuff. As I was sitting there with this couple last night, they were just, just speaking in us, and he, he said, uh, he made a comment, he said, you know, he said, back in the day, a man's life was lived such that it demanded an answer. He lived his life in such a way in pursuing God that it demanded an answer because people would do what the scripture said, which was being always being ready to give an account for the hope that's in you. Because a man's life would be lived in such a way that people would say, you've got to tell me what it is that's different about you. I think I was remembering it was D.L. Moody that I read a story one time about him walking into a factory. A business owner had invited him to come and to visit them and then I think was going to have prayer or something afterwards, but he was coming in and he was walking into this factory with machines running. And as D.L. Moody started walking down through the middle of this factory, now you hear me, this is just, this isn't 500 years ago, you know, 1,000 years ago, this isn't that long ago. As he's walking down the middle of this factory, they started hearing machines turn off. Just him walking through this, the presence of God was so strong on the man's life that men who were in there running those machines got under conviction as he just walked through the building. And they started shutting machines off and falling on their knees and asking God to come into their life. I'm making it up. It's just documented. A man's life was once lived in such a way that it demanded an answer. Just as Jesus didn't have to tell them, Hey, get, I want y'all to know I'm really passionate about my father's house. His life lived out and showed that. His actions demonstrated he was consumed with zeal. One, tra one translation, I think it's maybe the King James translation, says that he was eaten up. I like that because that's more Southern. Because y'all know, we'll say, hey, he just eat up with that right there. I thought whoever wrote that, to, you know, God just had a moment where he, he shared with us on a Southern level, you know. Or maybe somebody, I guess the, the Elizabethan English folks, they translated it and had a little bit of Southern in them. They must have been from Southern England. They were eat up with it. That God was, Jesus was eat up with that zeal. He was filled with it. And if we are to be like Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, then we too should be filled up with the things that He was filled up with. It's hard for us to say, well, you know what? I want to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. It's old school church now. Sorry for those of y'all don't. To be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like Him. What is it? From, from, from here. Go ahead, Wayne. Help me out. All through life's journey. From earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. That was So we'll sing. Obviously, we don't sing that, but we did when I was a kid. You know, you'd sing that kind of stuff, and you'd say, oh, yeah, I just want to be like Jesus. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And all this kind of stuff. Well, one thing that Jesus would do, and you'll see this meme right now, one thing Jesus would do is he'd flip over tables and run people out of God's house and say, Stop, get that junk out of here. All right, that's one thing he would do. The other thing he'd do is he'd be eat up with zeal. He would be eat up with that, that passion, that energy, that enthusiasm for God's house, for worship, for prayer, for reverence of God. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we ought to be filled up with that. 
Galatians 4, 8 through 20. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to read you the whole thing. You can flip over there. And I'm going to pick one verse out of this once we get there. But Galatians 4, 8 through 20 says this. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Now, this is some preaching. I'm just telling you. This is, I'm just reading God's Word. This is, this is Paul doing some preaching to the church at Galatia. He says, I'm concerned because of what, what I know you've been set free for and the way I know you ought to be living, and now you live in some other way, and you're going back into some of the stuff that you got set free from, and I'm concerned that my work that I did in bringing the gospel to you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You've not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to this sense of being blessed you had? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, he's speaking about people who were trying to sneak in and lead them away into some false beliefs. He said, they are enthusiastic, or some translations get, they are zealous about you and not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic or zealous about them. Now, it is always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I'm with you. My children... I'm suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Whew. Verse 18 is the, is the more powerful verse out of all that that I'm wanting us to focus on is where he says, it's always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I'm with you. I can't do anything less today than to deliver you the questions and the challenges that dropped into my own spirit over the last few weeks and that God then took and culminated in this message that he put in my heart last night and today because it wasn't just like last night. It's stuff that's been over the last couple of weeks that God's just been trying to get and convict me with and speak to me about regarding us because I'm not responsible for anybody else. Responsible for us. And so here's the first challenge that I'm going to give you. And you take it, and if you want to talk about Hebrews, or you want to talk about... Um, I made a comment last night to this person. I said, well, I'm not trying to be legalistic. And he said, and I'm not telling you. He said, I understand what you're talking about, about being legalistic. I, I do. I understand what you're talking about. But he said, well, then we swung so far the other direction, and where's that gotten us? It's gotten us with all kind of sin up in the church. 
It's gotten us with people that, that are willing to accept sin in their own lives, accept sin in their families, accept sin in our world, and you're not even brokenhearted about it anymore. We're not bothered by it anymore. We're not disturbed. We don't go before God. Now, we get angry at the sinners, but we just don't get that upset about the sin and brokenhearted and go before God, and as we were talking Wednesday night, and do some spiritual warfare because we've just accepted it. Michelle was making a statement last night as we were talking about something she had read that said um, that there was a progression. She had read this about there was a progression of how sin begins to affect believers. It starts out as something that used to would have maybe alarmed you. And you would have, you would have, have absolutely, you would just have abhor, abhorred that sin. You would have had nothing to do with it. It would have astounded you that anyone would be doing those things. But then over time, you begin to be tolerant of that sin. And then after you've been tolerant about it for a while, you begin to get curious about it. And so you start investigating it some. And then after you're curious, you start sampling it. We heard, and I, I don't know if, if Bird remembers this. I don't even remember who the guy was that, that, that preached this. I don't remember. It might have been Chris DeTruce at one point. But I remember him saying, he said, here's the way that things happen. The devil gets a foothold, a toehold, and then a stronghold. He gets his, he gets his toe in the door and gets it, gets it held open where you can't close it. So he gets a toehold, then he gets his foot worked in, gets a foothold, and then he gets a stronghold in your life. So, I just got, I just got called in, in this one because God's been convicting me. I've been back there in my office. That's where y'all was wondering where I was because I was just trying to get myself together and I didn't think I was going to make it through worship because God's just working on my heart about, about some of this. And so I'm just going to ask you the questions that he put in my heart. First, when was the last time that you were con truly consumed with, with zeal to be here in God's house on Sundays and Wednesdays? I understand. I'm telling you, if you want to talk later about that, well, you know, that's just, you know, you're just, Pastor, you're just being legalist. We can talk about that. We can I'm not saying that, it, that you're not saved or anything else. I'm just asking you, when's the last time you really had some zeal about being in God's house? Because the Bible says about Jesus, even before the Holy Spirit has come down into the rest of the people, it said that he was in the temple on the Sabbath, as was his custom. I'm not talking about it for you to come support me. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't care where it is. But where, when is the last time that you were truly consumed with zeal to be in God's house to worship? I'm not talking about you looking forward to having a social gathering with your friends. We well, you know I like going to church because I love hanging out with all the people. Wonderful. Not why you're here. It is a great byproduct. It is a wonderful byproduct that we get to be family together. But we come here to worship God. We come here to come into His presence as a family together. We come here to collectively lift up His name I like when I read in the Psalms and he will say things like, you know, he'll say stuff like, glorify him in the midst of the congregation. So come together. And yes, there's a byproduct of that. There ought to be friendships and all these kind of things. But, but we're not coming here for a social gathering and just happen to have some church time. 
We should be coming here to be in God's presence wherever it is that you want to go to church. You should be going there in order to get in God's presence to glorify him, to magnify him, to lift him up because he is worthy, to, to receive his word because the Bible says in that, that he's given the apostles and pastors and teachers and all these things. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. You come here to glorify God and to get equipped and then to go do the work. Churches have turned into having more of a social event that has a little bit of worship time. That has a little bit of God's Word. And God forbid that you got something more important going on. I just, you ain't got an amen. I'm talking about when the last time was that you had great energy or enthusiasm to be in God's presence. Because if we understand why we come together, then you understand that it's not about coming to be a church. You don't need preacher religion. You don't need to be, I don't care where it is, I don't care who it is on TV or anything else, because you ain't got it for me, so, so you ain't got to have it about anybody on TV. You don't need to have preacher religion where you're just following that guy, you're just following that person. I always have difficulty that people tell me, they'll be like, so whose stuff do you read the most? I'm going, I don't really have anybody in particular that I read their stuff. But when, when's the last time that you can truly say to yourself that you had this great energy or enthusiasm about, I want to be in God's presence? Not, I'm going to go do church because we, I'm going to tell you what, I've been, I've been struggling with it for about two months. I'm just sick of doing church. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. We're going to, we're going to talk some about the further we go. It's not growing. It's not going. And if we're going to be honest, as lights of the world, we ain't doing too much glowing. And I, I've got, I'm having to ask myself the same questions. When was the last time that I just had this great energy and enthusiasm to be in God's presence, not to come to church, not to preach, not to just do music, whatever else, but to be in God's presence? Because I'll tell you what will happen. I was listening. I was listening to some people recently talking about how they, they said, you know, they uh, they 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 had a they had a pastor when they were growing up in a in a holiness church here nearby, and, and that man worked full time at Lee Brass. He worked full time at Lee Brass, and they, they said he'd get out of he'd get out of out of work, come to church if he was having a revival or something like that, or Wednesday night one. Said sometimes they'd have service run all the way to one o'clock in the morning. God just blessing people, people in prayer, people turn around, get up, go to work the next day. Man, you have people rebel, go all out and go crazy up on you. You start trying to do that stuff today. We got to go, Pastor, because we got to get in bed, because we got God could be healing people. Folks be I got to go get some sleep. Got work tomorrow. We're going to get there. I'm just, I'm just giving you what God's challenging me on. When's the last time you had great energy or enthusiasm to worship, to pray, to dig into God's word, to experience a move of God in a powerful and a tangible way? Because I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I was sitting there talking to these people last night. 
Man, and folks just don't, folks just don't know about this kind of stuff. We're going to. I was sitting there talking to them last night, and they said, hey, let, let us tell you something that happened recently. They said the older people we're seeing in their church, it's a larger church, it's not, not right here in this vicinity, so you won't, I ain't trying to get you to figure out where it is, all right? But they said the older people in our church said they're not, they just sit. Said it's some of the young, some of the 20-some-odd-olds that are, that are getting fired up about God because they're tired of the same old, same old. And they said, here's what happened. They said, here the other Wednesday night, said a young man came in, said he had an, a tooth had gotten so abscessed, it was so bad that his, that his face had swollen up, his, his head swamped. They were supposed to do surgery on him. And, and that they, Wendy will understand this better. They were talking about they were going to have to replace part of his jaw or something. It was so bad, it had it messed up. They come in there on a Wednesday night, and this young man said, I need prayer. He's in terrible pain, head swollen up, going to have to have surgery and have part of his jaw replaced. Now, I'm just telling you what God's doing today. Nearby. So then people went to praying for him. He was believing. So the next morning, all the swelling was gone. He went to the doctor. They said, we don't know what's happened. Only thing we know to tell you is somehow you've healed overnight. There's nothing wrong with the bone that's in your jaw. There's no, it's like there's never been an abscess there. There's nothing we need to do. And said that the, the, the fella, young fella said he lit out the front door of the place. Now, I'm sorry if you didn't grow up in church like this. Yes, my, you, why, you may not want to be here next Sunday. But, but if you didn't grow up in, or maybe you do need to be here next Sunday. But they said that, that fella, he lit out the front door of that church and said he was running down the street just a whooping and a yelling. Said he called the pastor. He couldn't hardly talk. He was so excited. Telling him, I've been healed. I mean, I'm having to ask myself this stuff. When's the last time we saw stuff? Because half of us don't care if it happens. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We're, we're willing to come in and do church every single week. We're willing to come in and do a service every single week. Maybe Wednesday night too. We're willing to do all this stuff and not be all that worried about well, did somebody get healed? Do we get in God's presence? Do we experience something? Do, am I changed? Do I grow? Do I glow? Do I go? But it's because we're, we're not, we don't have that zeal for this stuff. I'm not talking about just getting, I think this is where, this is where I, I think God is letting me see that I backlash too far. That, that I, I as a pastor, I as a minister said I, I, I wanted people to be in some meat of the word and some of that stuff. And let's be honest, that's been a struggle. If we try to do a meaty Bible study or whatever, we just struggle for people even to show up for it. And then it started dawning on me. Maybe it's because we ain't got the power of the Holy Spirit working inside us to give us a hunger to want to be in that meat. There's just not a zeal for it. I'm, I, you can't feed people stuff that they're saying, I'm not hungry. When was the last time that you were so focused on what's really supposed to happen when we come together to worship 
that you were ready to figuratively flip tables and run out the ideas, the topics, the conversations, and the attitudes that were contrary to the worship that absolutely should be pouring out of our lives while we're together having church. I'm just going to tell you straight. We can't stand out here in the commons area and want to talk football and NASCAR and baseball and hunting and all this other stuff and then flip the switch and walk in here and get in God's presence. We can't stand out here talking about what we're mad about in politics and who we're ticked off at in the Democratic Party or in the Republican Party or in this party or in we went to a party or whatever your issue is. We can't stand out here doing that and then want to walk in here and flip a switch and go, God, how come people aren't getting saved? God, how come nobody's... We can say that you can come to the altar. We can say all this stuff, but we can't be doing something else and then want to walk into the presence of a holy God when we've been off in all kind of unholy stuff. And, and I'm not saying there's even anything wrong with the, the topics, but what is our focus? What is our zeal for while we're here? It's not a switch to flip. God is not under our control for us to go, okay, all right, so we've been doing our, Man, if you've been fighting with your spouse on the way to church and you get here, you need to, men, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. If y'all are fighting on the way to church, you need to get your wife's hand and you need to get in here in an altar before church starts and you need to tell her we need to get this thing right and I need to apologize because I need to be the leader and I need to say that I'm sorry, we need to get this right because we're fixing to go into the presence of a holy God and I need to make sure that there's not something that's going on between us that's causing either one of us to not be able to focus on worshiping God today. Parents, if you've been fighting with your kids on the way to church, I'm telling you, this will change your life because it's going to humble you. It's going to change you and it's going to change them. If you got to, go get your child's hand and say, hey, we need to go in here and pray because we've been fussing, we've been doing this, and we can't go in the presence of a holy God expecting that something powerful is going to happen in our lives today as we come together as a group of people, and we've been having fussing and fighting and everything else on the way here. We're going to have to get some zeal about God's presence. We're going to have to get some zeal about being in His Word. We're going to have to get some zeal about worship. Man, I, I, you know, we're, we're sitting there singing this song, that, that So Will I. This is not in my notes. Holy Spirit will just, he's he just going to take it there. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. As you speak... A hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of your promise. God of your promise. My goodness. God of your promise. You don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follows the sound of your voice. Remember, even the Bible says that, that his word won't go out and return to him void, but it will accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. Just tying into the very reality that, that Adam, when he formed him, God breathed life into him. 
And that breath that God breathed into Adam has come down through the generations and it is in you. The very breath of God. That's why when we sing that song, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. I pour out my praise. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. If stars were made to worship, so will I. If mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created. The light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? Because you're the one who never leaves the one behind. How do we sing this stuff? Dry as cracker juice, as the old preacher used to say. How do we sing this stuff about a God who has done all of those things and have no zeal? Say, you don't understand the hard week that I've had. You don't understand the difficulties I had. No, I just understand that Jesus endured way more than any of us are ever going to endure. And he's hanging on a cross, beaten, crown of thorns, mocked, scourged, basically clothes off and everything else. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do about the ones that are there. Father, it is finished. Who am I? To look at Jesus and say, I can't worship with zeal today. I can't come into your house with zeal today because I had such a hard week. Jesus, I can't worship you because I had such a hard week. New Testament talks about, he says, you haven't even strived to the point of blood yet. Am I saying that we didn't have hard weeks or what? No, I'm not. I'm just saying God is greater. I'm just saying that God is still worthy in the midst of whatever we're going through. God is still worthy. God is still holy. God still deserves our worship and our love and our adoration. And if we would get ourselves fired up, if somebody gave us tickets to some event that we wanted to be at, we'd work 14 hours a day before. We'd go drive all night and get there, stay up and do all of our stuff. Then my God, how come we can't come into God's house and have that same kind of zeal about being in the presence of the God who spoke worlds into existence? 
We sang that last song. When was the last time that you proclaimed over your own life that fear and depression, shame and confusion, you have to bow? No, instead, what I seem to hear more out of all of us, myself included, is we want to describe our fear and our depression, our shame and our confusion to everybody. We glorify our shame and confusion, our fear, our depression, all those things that are real and they're happening and, and, it's, and it's, it's a reality in our lives. But we glorify that greater than the God who tells us through his word that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. How many times this week did you talk to somebody about your problems versus how many times this week did you give somebody an invitation to come to know Christ? Where is the zeal? Where is the endearing energy and enthusiasm for the things of God, for worship, for prayer, for the Bible? We make excuses about it. And I had a... I had this person tell me last night, I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to tell you what I describe it as. He said, the church is full of the sick, the lame, and the lazy. I'm not, you understand, I'm not, all of us, we get sick and all that. That's all. He's talking just from a spiritual standpoint. Spiritually, we're sick, we're lame, and we're lazy. You say, man, you're coming down hard today. Jesus just said, get that junk up out of here. Stop making my father's house something it's not supposed to be. And I'm challenging you today, get some stuff up out of your life. And get the things that need to be filling your life in there. And quit talking about for, for that, that you just can't get past it. Quit talking about the struggles that are. My God is able to deliver. He is able to set us free. So when are we going to quit living under the rule of one who we give authority to, our enemy, when God is able to truly deliver us and make us more than overcomers? But we don't have a zeal for it. We're okay. But I promise you, let your child... Let your child get in a situation where that you think something bad, something terrible, something life-altering is about to happen to them. You'll be in church. You'll be in prayer. You'll be on your face before God. You'll be trying to find every worship song you can find to listen to, trying to get into God's presence. My goodness, we are given the great privilege of being in the presence of a holy God when things aren't going bad like that. I heard a minister say here recently, he said, the problem is, he said, if you hadn't had enough faith to believe God in times when things weren't hard, you're sure enough not going to have enough faith to believe him when times are hard. If you can't be faithful to God when things are going all right, then don't think you're going to flip a switch when something major and catastrophic goes wrong. And all of a sudden you're going to just, whoa, hey, it's all good. I'm up in God's presence. You ain't been in God's presence and didn't want to be in his presence when you didn't have the problem. It's going to be a struggle because it's about discipline. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. I'm going to help you out because I've been tired lately myself. But I don't get to just decide I'm just not going to come to church on Sunday morning. 
I don't get to decide and say, you know what, hey, sorry. Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm going I, mm, to hush. No, I'm not. That's what I got rebuked about last night. I don't get to decide and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to come hang out with y'all for breakfast and then I'm going to scoop. I don't get to say, well, you know, that's not true. I could. I just wasn't raised that way. I was raised by a pastor and said I wasn't ever going to be one. See how that worked out for me. Actually, I said, God will have to call me because I hear people saying, oh, yeah, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. Then you don't know a pastor well enough. Tell it, PK. Pastor's kids know. If you grew up with one who really passed or, you know, and, and who cared about people, then, yeah, you didn't, want, you didn't want any part of that. I know people that grew up in past families, and especially the women, and they'll be like, I am not marrying a pastor. If there's a man called to the ministry, he's not for me. I've heard it. Sometimes God still makes them marry a pastor. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to help you out with this thing about, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just so tired I can't. Because you're not letting the church down. I want you to understand something. You're not letting the church down. If, 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 if I got to sit here and play piano, sing to myself. I'll meet with God. It's not about that. It's you're letting the people around you down. You're letting yourself down. An opportunity to get together with God's people and, and be in God's presence. It's kind of like when you show up at a family reunion and you're looking around going, hey, where's Aunt Mabel and Uncle Bo and all them? You know, man, why didn't they show up? They're missing out, right? We say that kind of thing. They're missing out. I'm not saying you had to be here. Just go somewhere. Get in God's house. But when you go, well, I just couldn't do it because I was just so wore down. I want to give you what God's word says about some of that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youth may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I can only tell you what I have experienced and what I have seen. I've watched my mother. I've watched my father that, that, that faithfully served God. I have watched them while I was growing up. I've watched my mother have her voice completely shot, just, just be shot, sick, whatever else, just her voice be shot. Go into church determined that, that because she needed to serve and people weren't there or whatever, and, and, and man, she was going to lead the choir, she was going to do whatever. I have watched that woman. I have watched God touch her. I'm looking at Wayne Marcel because I know where they, I, I know what they done been up in. I keep, I keep looking at them. I'm not trying to stare at y'all. I just know. Pat, pastor's daughter knows. She come up in some AOG. She knows all about it. Look, I, I, I just, uh, I've watched, I've watched God touch my mother and her voice come back like it's full strength all during that singing. And the minute it was over, I've watched it go. And it'd be two or three days. Before her voice came back. But I have watched God take 
and touched because that she was committed to doing what God had called her to do. I've just seen it happen. I've had it happen to me. My voice just be just be rough, raspy, everything else. Just go ahead and be faithful and serve, and and God just bless. I think that we have gotten so hung up on living in the natural that we forget that God is working in the supernatural and he will give strength to the weary. He will strengthen the powerless. Youth may faint and grow weary. I'm just telling you, getting in God's presence has to be something that we have zeal about. I've recently, and we're fixing to get real real. If you thought we weren't real real, we're fixing to get real real. I've recently been questioning why there isn't growth happening in this church that I believed would happen. And I've personally made internal excuses based on our location, based on the style of service or the difference in how we do certain things. And at times, I've made myself feel good about that, maybe even vindicated by those answers. At times, I've made myself feel all right going to answer because people just don't want to come because we're right here on the edge of West Anderson because we want everybody to come. Yeah, the whole churches just don't want that. That's why we're not growing. God has dispelled those myths for me this week through his word and through faithful words spoken by spiritual friends who would rather see God's truth at work in my life than they would to see me remain ignorant spiritually about something. Proverbs 27 and 6 says this, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Here's the truth that I believe that God has shown me. And I'm just telling you what God's shown me. And since I'm responsible for it, I'm telling you what God has shown me. We will remain the same as we are as a church until we as individuals regain or maybe gain for the first time the zeal for the things of God that consume Jesus. We will remain the same as we are as a church until the individuals regain a zeal for the things of God that consumed Jesus. I'm going to refer to that last song again. We are letting lesser things demand our attention while we neglect the powerful things of God that will first change our own lives, then change our church, and then change our community. You hear that old saying about that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Well, a church is only as strong as the individual spiritually. And, and quite honestly, if we don't get a zeal about getting in God's presence, and if we don't get a zeal about getting in God's word and getting in prayer at an individual level, it will not change. I'm not being defeatist. I'm trying to give us a path forward. Because if we don't change individually in that, What happens here on Sundays and Wednesdays is a result of what's happening in our individual lives away from here. And honestly, that's why it's dry. That's why it's only got a certain amount of worship and participation is because it's a reflection of that that's what's happening outside of here. I said this is as much for me as it is for anybody. We can go hand out popsicles. We can go walk the neighborhood. We can go hand out tracks in Zen Park. We can do another cookout here for the community, and I expect to here within the next couple months. But we can do all that stuff. But all of these things don't carry any power if we're not filled 
with zeal for our personal prayer time, our reading of the word, and our personal worship. And I would even go so far as to say, as that's why that it hasn't worked. The Bible talks about having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We can do things that look to be something that's powerful outreach, but if we're not having powerful inreach within ourselves in the presence of God, it's not going to be a powerful outreach. We're not going to change this church or this community by doing more stuff outside these four walls right now. It's going to start with revival beginning in our hearts, revival and a zeal for God beginning where that, as, as I think it was John Wesley said one time, said, if you'll set yourself on fire, people will come to see you burn. God brought... That thought to my mind this week that the weakness of corporate worship inside the four walls is only an indication of the weakness of individual worship that we do in private. It is no fun. Just in case you're wondering, it's no fun to preach a message like this. It's painful. I was working through this in, on, on the way home last night and then last night and then this morning. And so I was, I, I just, I mean, I was sitting back there in the, in the study and just tearing up and because I, God was convicting me as much as he was anybody else. But what sort of weak pastor and what sort of weak minister of the gospel would I be if I refused to communicate a message that speaks to all of us? John Wesley once preached a sermon about Christian zeal. And he shared that the root of that word zeal is heat. And the overall idea is fervent love or warm affection for something. Zeal. This fervent love. I got to ask this this question. Are you eating up with fervent love for God? Could you honestly say today, man, I am eaten up with fervent love for God. Could you honestly say, I am eaten up with fervent love for prayer, with fervent love for His Word, with fervent love for worship? This week, I read a passage from a book. I'm getting close to wrapping this up. I read a passage from a book that impacted me, and I want to share that passage with you today. This is what it says. The point is, our worldview is not precisely what we may state it to be. It is what is actualized in our behavior. We live our worldview, or it isn't our worldview. What we actually hold, for example, about the nature of fundamental reality may not be what we say. Here is a simple test. On one side, and, and I would challenge you to do this when you get home, or you may just be able to, Holy Spirit may just go ahead and just help you out with this right now because he wore me out. On one side of a sheet of paper, write down what you believe about prayer. Now turn over the sheet and write down how much and how often you pray. 
or vary that. On one side of a sheet of paper, write down what you believe about God that supports what you believe about prayer. Now turn over the sheet and write what your prayer life indicates about what you really believe about God. Christians are often less spiritual than their stated worldview would require. What do you tell yourself and others that you believe about worship? What do you tell yourself and others that you believe about prayer? Oh, I believe that prayer changes things. Really? This is the the stuff. God's just been piling this stuff up on me. Really? You believe prayer changes things? Then are you fervent about prayer? When you hear about stuff that needs changed, are you going to God in prayer and faith believing? Because if you say you believe that prayer changes things, then what's your prayer life say about that? Well, I believe that worship can break the bondage of the enemy. Then how much you been worshiping this week? If you're telling me you had a bad week, if you're telling me how hard things were, if you're telling me how the enemy was coming against you and you believe that worship sets you free and worship breaks the chains, well, how much you been worshiping this week? Well, I couldn't because I was having such a hard week. Then you must not believe that worship does anything then. Because we can say it, but we got to live it. I told you guys last week I was going to use something this week. I was listening to the two running coaches that, I, that I'm trying to follow after. They're in Ohio. And they made this statement, and Michelle and I were riding down the road listening to it, and it hit me right between the eyes. And I said, oh, dear Lord, he's going to use that to preach. I said, that hurts right there. This guy said he was talking about running. He's just a running coach. Got to use whatever. You just got to listen. If he can use a donkey and a rooster and all kind of stuff, he can use a running coach. It'll be all right. This guy, this running coach, he said, he said, how many of you know out there listening that you need to get yourself in good shape? He said, how many of you know that? And he said, Many of us have said, you know, I just wish I had the time to get in shape. He said, stop lying. (laughs) He said, rephrase what you're saying. I know I need to get in shape, but it is not a priority for me. He said, that's the truth. You need to start... If you're going to conquer these things that make you not do stuff and the excuses that you use in your life, and I'm just going, oh, Holy Spirit radar just going off. I'm going, oh, 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 Holy Spirit, stop it. No, stop. No, no, no. You know that that cat that they're trying to put in that bath on YouTube? No, 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 no. That's what my spirit was saying. But he said, you need to start speaking the truth to yourself because you're only lying to yourself. How many of us, you know, we would truthfully say, oh, yeah, I believe worship is important. Well, how hard you been worshiping lately? I'm not talking about even up in here or whatever. It'd be nice, I can tell you, as these singers and whatever else. It's encouraging when people are raising their hands and stuff like that because you're up here working hard. You're trying to lead. You're trying to worship. You know, if everybody stands out there just looking at you, I mean... I can just tell you, just as somebody, it's no fun. 
It's not that we're doing it for the fun, but I mean, man, it's encouraging when people are getting engaged and worshiping. I mean, we all realize, right, you know, you at the football game, they throw them signs up there, get loud, get louder, get loud. You know, they play the decibel meter up on the thing, and people try to make that decibel meter go up. Look, church, same way. It's encouraging when people do it. People in your life, it's the same way. When they're trying to pursue after God, instead of being critical about all the stuff, that's going, hey, trying to encourage, hey, you need to keep doing that, man. Get in your word, get in prayer, get in those things. If we say, yeah, worship's important. Well, but I ain't been worshiping all that much this week. Okay, then speak the truth to yourself. I know that worship is important, but it's not a priority to me. Everybody in this place could say, yeah, they know somebody in their life. Because I know, I mean, I know some of you. I know your families know whatever else. You got people that need Jesus. I got people in my family that need Jesus. Well, so do you believe that prayer has an impact on that? Absolutely, Pastor. Well, how much have you been praying for them this week? How fervent have you been praying for them this week? Okay, then let's just speak the truth to ourselves. I believe that prayer changes things, but it's not a priority for me. How much are we doing those things and engaging with those things with the level of zeal that consumed Jesus when he started flipping tables and running people out of the house of prayer? Do we have that zeal about worship, about prayer, about God's word, about coming together, about studying God's word, all those things? No, I ain't got time. I, I got this. Then just speak the truth to yourself. It's not a priority to me. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to other people. Yeah, I know I ought to pray. I know I ought to read the Word, but I got my excuse. You don't, don't demand that I do it so much or whatever. Look, ain't nobody demanding you ought to do something so much, but if you love God, you ought to want to be doing it. And if we're not being self-disciplined enough to do it, just go ahead and say it. It's not a priority to me. Don't lie and say, oh, yeah, I'm all good. It's just not a priority. Jesus had enough zeal about his Father's house. He goes in and starts flipping tables, running people out, and says, get that out of here. I'm not talking about you getting angry about politics. I'm sick of the church world trying to pretend like being angry about politics is doing spiritual battle. Everybody, Fox News and this and CNN and that and everything else, we just need to be in prayer. And not just praying about people. Praying for stuff. Praying, getting ourselves where that our light shines brighter than the false light that the enemy's trying to put out here in the world. Talking about having a fervent love for God that causes you to throw yourself unashamedly into worship, to push in prayer, stop making excuses about, I'm so tired and I fall asleep when I'm praying. Well, pray a little more fervently then. Get up and walk around if you got to. Do something. It's like exercise. Having fervent love to dig into God's word and stop excusing yourself by saying, I don't like to read. I don't care. Tell you straight down. I don't care. God, God decided to put it in book form. You don't like to read? Tell, talk to him about it. Pray. That help you with your prayer life. Get, get some of the prayer life going with that. Get in God's Word. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. I got this much left on this page. Men, when are you going to stop allowing lesser things to be more of a priority than being in God's house and being with God's people? No offense to the ladies. It's not that I don't want to talk to you at the moment. You can listen. I want you to hear it, but, but I ain't talking to the men for a minute. Men, the Bible's very clear. It's not an elitism thing. It's not a who's better or anything else. God designed an order in the home, and it is not about authority. It is about responsibility. It is not about you got control. It is not about you the boss. It is that you're accountable for everything. God holds you accountable to be the spiritual leader of your home. Because if you will be the spiritual leader, all the other stuff will take care of itself. If you will be a godly spiritual leader, I would promise you, and I think these ladies would, I promise you if you will be a godly spiritual leader, your wife won't have any problem respecting you. But if you're not going to be a godly and a spiritual leader, then she's going to have trouble and you're making life hard on her. And you're raising young men and young women who don't see what a godly marriage is supposed to look like. Men, we've got to stop allowing lesser things to be more of a priority than being in God's house. You want It's amazing. Everything else. Uh, that's why I love that line out of that song. All lesser things that demand my attention, you have to bow. You have to bow. It's amazing. A couple of hours a week. And man, we will struggle and we will allow other things to take a priority. And we're sending a message. And we're sending a message to people around us. When will we stop setting that example for our families that Christianity is just another thing to do? We say it's not. We say that it's, that it's a way of life, but then we talk about the things of Christianity, prayer, reading God's Word, going to church, you know, gathering together with God's people. We talk about those things as if they're another thing to do, not who we are. We say it's a lifestyle, but we describe it as it's another task. And that's why you will prioritize something else over it, because it is a task. Versus this is what we do. This is who we are. This is part of what our life is. This is the DNA of who we are in Christ because our life's not our own, but it's been bought with a price. It's not another task. Living for God is not something else that we do. It is who we are. And it's time that we get filled with some fervent love, some zeal for God and the things of God. And I'm just telling you, your family's not going to change until that happens. Stuff on your job is not really going to change until it happens. I can tell you this. I can tell you that at times, it's not even going to be your job. It's going to change. It's just you're going to change in your job, and the circumstances may remain the same. But how you walk in victory through it is going to all be about your zeal for God and the things of God. And he's going to be doing stuff in your life that the enemy can't do anything about. Your job may not get better. Your job may not get more enjoyable. 
but you're just going to find joy in something other than your job that right up in the middle of it, you're going to be able to get some of that Psalm 23 stuff where it's, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. No program, no new church, no new group of people is going to improve your personal spiritual life if you're unwilling to embrace being filled with the zeal for God that was demonstrated by Jesus. 